Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to spend the majority of our time this morning in Galatians chapter 6, but I want to start in chapter 5 today. We're in a series called Lean In. I'm talking a few weeks. We're talking about empathy and lean in. So I just want to see you physically. I want to see you lean in. Just, just a moment. I'm looking. Can you just give me a little lean, all right? Because the opposite of leaning in is turning your back on someone or crossing your arms. And and when you see the way we're supposed to live life with Jesus, life with Jesus is not about turning your back on the world or crossing your arms or rolling your eyes. It's leaning in, even when it's hard. Even we have reasons to be afraid, like we, we are leaning in. We're leaning into relationships. We're leaning into prayer. We lean in to each other. And I want to get to the Galatians 6 in just a moment where we talk about what it means to carry our own burdens and to carry the burdens of others. But I want to begin in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. And it begins with this, by contrast. Or in some of your Bibles, it's just but. So repeat after me, by contrast. All right, so what has just happened is uh, Paul has been talking about here all these ways of the world, like all these other things that are calling for your attention and for uh, your affections and your passion. But now, in contrast to all of that, here's the fruit of this Spirit. And the fruit of this Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and, and self-control. Nine things that are placed in front of people. This is what the Spirit of God is like. I did a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit years ago. After church, I was walking out those doors, and a man caught me. He was there next to his wife and his kids. I'm not going to tell you his name. Hypothetically, it was Tony Forsythe, but uh, hypothetically speaking, all right? So we're walking out the door, and Tony stopped me, and Tony was like, Josh, I, I want to go closer to God, but give me something to do. Like He, he had heard talk, me talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Give me something to do. And I said, man... And Deborah and his two kids, Hannah and Trevor, they were students at the time, so this was a while back. I said, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Are you going to lunch today with your family? He said, yeah, we're going to a restaurant right now. I said, here's what I want you to do. When you sit down at lunch, I want you to go through each fruit of the Spirit, and I want you to ask Deborah and the kids to tell you how you were doing in that area. How are you doing in love, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? How are you doing? And he stood there for a minute. And he looked over at Deborah, Trevor, and Hannah, who, like, their eyes were wide open. They are like, we would love this experience right now, right? And, and Tony looked at me, and he said, yeah, I'm definitely not doing that. Give me something else to do. Like, I, don't make me gauge myself like that. But when you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, like, do you really believe that if we embody these, that it will make for a better world? Like, do you think good leaders can take on these qualities do you imagine politicians leaders in schools like if they were to embody these it would make for a better world let me show you how verse 23 ends and it ends with this there is no law against such things so for anybody writing to a Jew Gentile audience that is a bold statement to make because so many Jews, they have hung the law on those first five books of the Bible. And now Paul is saying, all the law you've heard about your entire life, when it comes to what the Holy Spirit is like, there is no law that comes close to what this kind of life can do for you. In verse 24, it says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This isn't saying that if you follow Jesus, your passions and desires die and you don't live a life of passion and desire at all. It's as our passions and desires are crucified, what comes to life are passions and desires that align themselves with the Holy Spirit of God, with the Spirit of God, with what God is like. 
So the fruit of the Spirit is like, this is what the Holy Spirit is like. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is like? The Holy Spirit is love and gentleness and patience and kindness. And then Paul says this in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Or some of your versions say, since we live by the Spirit, be guided by the Spirit. It's this dance with the Spirit of God. This is what the Spirit of God is like. The Spirit of God is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you're supposed to be like. So from verse 22 through verse 25, Paul is telling them and urging them the spirit of God is like this and you can be like this too like you take on the characteristics in your life that align with the characteristics you see in the spirit of God and it seems like at this point Paul would say something like this is what a relationship with God is like or this is what faithfulness looks like but the last verse in verse chapter 5 is this let us not become conceited competing against one another envying one another So after talking about what the Holy Spirit is like, he reminds people of what you're not supposed to be like. And here's the thing, we live in a world today where you hear a lot of talk, you hear a lot of talk about what it means to be your authentic self or the best version of you or or, uh, like your happiness. And, And I'm four versions of all that stuff. But when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to following Jesus, life with Jesus is not just about your status with God, it is about your status with God and how it becomes a benefit for the world. It becomes about otherness. It is how you live a life in which other people around you benefit from the fruit they see in you. I want you to see the first five verses in chapter six. And I'm going to read them in the message. And a lot of times I don't do this. I think the message could be a really good way for you just to kind of read and kind of hear present day language. But I, I, I like the way Eugene Peterson in the message, I like how he translates these first five verses. And he says this, Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them. Most of your versions say you restore them gently, not harshly, gently. Saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. And if you think you're too good for that, you were badly deceived. I love how you translate that. If you think you're too good to do that, you're badly, you're badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that and don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. So today I want to talk both about what it means for you to carry some burdens in your life and what it means for us to carry one another's burdens. So I want to play just a quick game. I got seven images I'm going to toss out to you. You're going to see them on the screen. Hopefully, if you're online, you can see a screen. And I just want you to tell me, whatever you see on the screen, does it take one person to carry it or two? You got it? That's it. There's going to be an image. Can one person carry it or two? And here's the first image. It's a backpack with books and a bottle of water. One or two? One. It would be really awkward if two tried to carry this together. Or maybe one has an arm, you know, their arm through a strap and then someone's next to them. It would look awkward when there's a book with a, or a backpack with a couple of books and a water in there. One person can carry it. Here's the second image. One or two. Two. Now, I know there's probably somebody in the house who's like, I did that by myself one time. All right. Good for you. All right. It takes two people to carry a couch. Now, here's the thing about the image I chose, though. You look at those two people and I don't know how well you can see their facial expression. Have you ever seen two people more happy? carrying a couch in your life like 
There is the light on their face. And I have never seen anybody carry a couch like that. Like carrying a couch takes two people, especially if you're pivoting, trying to get upstairs, right? Like it, take, it takes more than one. Here's the next image, one or two. Hey, I'm not talking about eating it. I'm talking about carrying it, all right? If I saw two people come out of a KFC, both holding a bucket of chicken together, my only thought is that's a family that doesn't know how to share, right? That, that's a family in which that person knows if they let go of the chicken, they're going to get left with the honorable mentioned piece of chicken, which is the thigh. Like the thigh is it's that piece in the bucket. It's like, eh, here's, a, here's a ribbon, you know, thanks for showing up, right? Here, here's the next image. This one right here. One or two people. <laughs> right. If you've ever had to replace a hot water heater in your house, now I have heard Mark Taylor tell stories of how Mark Taylor's had to do this by himself, and he has a way that he's been able to do that back when he was working a lot in homes. But for the most part, it takes at least two, especially if that hot water heater is in your attic. Here's the next image right here. One or two. Just a gallon of milk, right? One. You can do this. You can carry a gallon of milk by yourself. And here's the next image. A treadmill. Now let me ask you this, have you ever had somebody ask you to help them move out of a house and before you said yes, you know you've been in that house, so you started thinking through all the rooms in their house of what do they have? How big is the china cabinet? Do they have a pool table? Is there a treadmill? If it's, is it downstairs or is it upstairs? When it comes to moving a treadmill, you need at least two people. And last but not least, and this one could be a little tricky, this one could be a little tricky, right? moving a washer or a dryer. Because if you have a dolly, and you have a ramp to get into a truck, and you're not having to carry it up the steps, you could do it by yourself, but this may be a two-person job. So what I want to talk about today in Galatians 6 is those moments in your life where there are burdens that you have to carry, and you can do this because God gives you strength to do it. And there are times where we as the church... We carry one another's burdens, which means you have to share your burdens so that other people can help carry them. So with that said, I think, uh, here's Galatians 6, 6 chapter, or chapter 6, verse 2, and it says this. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen to the second part of the verse. Paul thinks so much about what it means for the church to carry each other's burdens, that he says, by doing this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is about people helping each other make it through life. Like, Paul thinks so much about that statement. And then three verses later in Galatians 6, verse 5, what Paul writes is, for all must carry their own loads. So right now, you probably look at the screen and you see verse 2 and you see verse 5 and I bet most of you, you're already thinking to yourself, I'll take verse 2, someone else can take verse 5. I'll take verse 5, someone else can take verse 2. Like I want to come alongside of others to help them out and then there are those of you who are really independent in life that you're thinking, I'll just carry my own because I don't want other people to help me carry it. I think I can put most people in this room, most people in this experience today in the three categories. And one is this. In this room, in this space, we have burden bearers. 
people who can bear the burdens of other people. Like you have the gift from God to be that safe place. You are the person that your friends and other people reach out to you to share the things going on in your life. And for you to receive that from other people, like when people confide in you, when people reach out to you, like it brings you great joy. It is an honor. Like you get adrenaline from it. You love being the person that others will share some of the stuff going on in their lives with. Like a lot of times when people shoot me an email or they call me or we meet and they're sharing some of the burdens in their lives, a lot of times people apologize for, I hate to place this burden on you. And my response usually is, I don't accept your apology because it is a great honor that you would invite me into this space in your life. And there are some of you who have the gift of doing this. You are that safe place. So I want to speak specifically to some Enneagram people. And I know everybody here is not familiar with the Enneagram, but to Enneagram 2s because this is you, the helpers in the room. I'm not going to call out any names, but hypothetically Kathy and Ashley, like I'm talking to those people. You are the helpers. People confide in you. They see you as a safe place, and you need to be reminded of a few things. Jesus is a Savior, and you're not. And you need to be reminded that the goal of God on you for being that safe place is not to fix people. It's to listen and to be present with them. And some of you need to know today, you just need to hear that you cannot carry dozens of crosses in the world because you're trying to carry the crosses of others. You help people carry their own. So we have burden bearers. In this room, we also have burden givers. We have people who you have shared burdens of your life with other people and I just want to tell you like thank you for doing that because I know anytime you reach out to someone for help any kind of help financial help you need somebody to pray for you there's some pain in your life there are things you're carrying you just need help it, it takes such a risk it takes so much courage like for you to send that message or to reach out to someone it takes so much courage for you to reach out for help and I, I praise God that you are willing to do that that you're willing to reach out and ask for help, that you experience desperation in your life and you're not afraid to reach. And here's my challenge for you, is that sometimes when we experience desperation, sometimes we can overreach. And what I want you to hear from God today is this. God wants to give you the grace and strength you need to carry some of the burdens in your life. God can give you the grace and strength to do that. And God can give you the discernment to know when you need to call other people into that space. And the third group of people I want to talk to just for a moment are the radically independent. That's what I'm going to call you for a moment. And it's those people who could be half dead in a ditch with no one else around, great cell phone signal, 95% battery life in your phone, yet you are not going to call and ask for help because you can do this on your own. And if you die, you're just going to convince yourself that it was your time. Like, that, that's it. You're the person who could have a rash for six weeks until you call a doctor, right? Like, you're, you're the person who has a backache, and you don't stretch, and you don't take any meds for it. It's, it's somehow, some way, you're just going to get better. And I think what I would want to tell the radically independent is that reaching out for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of courage. And sometimes you need to do it not just for yourself, but for how it models for other people what it means to reach out when you are in need. I want to walk you through Galatians 6, just verse 2 and verse 5. I want to just point out a couple of words to you. And in chapter 6, verse 2, the word we have is a Greek word, baros. 
And this word baros is to press down as if with a weight. It's the experience of something that is particularly oppressive. So I want you to think, not just like a backpack that you're carrying. It's like 20 backpacks you're carrying. This is a heavy load, a heavy weight. I want to show you a couple of places this pops up in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is telling a parable. And in this parable, there are people who have been working out in the heat all day long. And at the very end, there are other people who came and just worked for a few minutes, and they all got paid the same. And in verse 11, it says, And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden, the barrows of the day in the scorching heat. Like all day, we have been carrying this load of work. In Acts chapter 15, verse 28, and this is a moment where you have the, the churches met, the apostles have met, the elders are there, and they're thinking, what do we do about Gentiles coming into the family of God? What are we going to place on them? Do we, really, it comes down to, are we asking them to be circumcised or not? And in chapter 15, verse 28, it's, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden. Like, we do not want anything that is oppressive to you that keeps you from hearing what it is God wants for you and the family God is inviting you into. Baros is this heavy burden it could be a physical burden. It could be an emotional burden. It's a heavy burden that you carry. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, it's for all must carry their own loads. And this is a word, fortion. And this word is a load, it, it's a load for transport. I want you to think about how you carry a load, not just how a load is on you and the weight of it, but how you carry it, that which is carried and it constitutes a burden. So this word may pop up in Acts chapter 27 where there's a ship with cargo. This is the word that pops up in Matthew chapter 11 verse 30 when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden, my fortion, it is light. Jesus is going to help with that burden. So in Galatians 6, verse 2, in Galatians 6, verse 5, you have two different words. One is baros. It's this word for burden. It's heavy and it's burdensome. And it's not that forteon, this word load. It's not that it's not heavy. It could be heavy, but it's something that you can carry. At least a little bit, like you can carry. There are weights that you can carry in life, and there are others that you can't. And there are those that you think you can, but you carry it too long, and you will feel the impact. So three stories to end this message today. Story number one is this. I told this story a couple of years ago, and I just want to revisit it. There's a movie that came out in 2010. It's called Rabbit Hole. Starring Nicole Kidman. Didn't make a bunch of money. She won awards. It's about, it's about a grieving family. Nicole Kidman's character is that she had a child who one day ran out into the street and was hit by a teenage driver, died. She also had a brother who was in his, in his 30s when he uh, died from a drug overdose. So there's this grief that she's carrying in her own life. And there's one moment in the movie, she's in the attic and she's with her mother. So her mother has now lost her son in his 30s to a drug overdose and has lost her grandson who was hit by a car out in the street. And they're standing up there in the attic, and Nicole Kidman's character, her name is Becca, she looks at her mother and she says, does it ever get easier? Like carrying the grief in life, like does it ever get easier? And the mother's response in the moment is that when you carry grief and you carry pain in your life, a lot of times it's like somebody sewed a brick in your pocket. And when they sew that brick in your pocket, at first you notice it every single moment of the day. 
But then there's the day you wake up and you don't even notice it. You've learned to carry it until you stick your hand in the pocket. And when you stick your hand in your pocket, you're reminded that it's there. Or you forget it's there and then you're walking through the kitchen and you run into the cabinet. And when you do, you're reminded that, that it's there. It's like this brick that someone sewed in your pocket, but you learn to carry it. And God gives you the grace and the strength to carry some of those bricks in your life. Some of the burdens you carry, God gives you the grace and the strength to carry it. Story number two. Bill Wilson. The story tells us Bill Wilson was at the forefront of creating what we now know as Alcoholics Anonymous. And we have a Celebrate Recovery that meets here on our campus on Tuesdays that, I mean, goes all in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Alcoholics Anonymous is broader, but has served a great purpose throughout the world, focusing specifically on helping people with their alcohol addiction. And Bill Wilson was, had been sober for six months, and he was on a business trip. And when he was on this business trip, a business deal he was trying to work out fell flat. Didn't go through. He was devastated. He went back to the hotel. He was walking through the lobby. And, he, and, and as he was walking through the lobby, he said he could hear some laughing over in an area. And he could hear the tinkling of the glass. And in that moment, he thought to himself, right now, I need a drink. And then it hit him. Maybe right now, I don't need a drink. Maybe I need a, another alcoholic who knows what I'm going through. So he went to the lobby and began to make phone calls. This was back before cell phones. Began to make phone calls and he called Dr. Bob Smith. And Dr. Bob Smith knew what he was going through. And together, Bill and Bob, Billy Bob, Billy, Billy and Bob, created what we now know as AA. And the thinking behind it was, there are times in your life when it's not that you need to sin, but you need another sinner who knows what it is like. So there are times when God's going to give you the grace and strength to carry your burden, and there are times where God is going to give you the discernment that you need someone else who has been on this same journey with you. And the last story I want to share is this one. And you can throw up the first image. All right, some of you, uh, how many of you know what story this is before I even tell it? 1992 Olympics, Derek Redmond was set to run the 400 meters. And right, I mean, just almost as soon as he started off, he tore his hamstring, fell to the ground, excruciating pain. This is 1992, 30 years ago, Barcelona Olympics. He's been training for years for this event, starts out that the event, tears his hamstring. Now, I remember showing this video years ago in a sermon. You've probably seen it. And so what I want to walk through just for a moment is what makes this a great story. Like, why is this still a story today that when you see the Olympics, you're going to probably see this story pop up at some point. It's a story that people tear, tell to inspire others. There are documentaries that have been told, stories that have been shared like about this. So he, he decided that he was going to step up and finish the race. Because he had trained for it for so long, he's going to make it to the finish line. I couldn't tell you who won gold, silver, or bronze. I could tell you about Derek, though. Because he stood up and the medical staff tried to stop him from running hobbling, like dragging his leg. And he shooed away the medical staff, thinking to himself, I can do this on my own. Like, I've trained for this, I'm hurt, but I will make it to the finish line, even if I'm limping, I will make it to the finish line. And then you have this, the, the image of the dad 
who comes running out on the track. Now, I don't think this would ever happen in the year like 2022. This dad would have been tased. He would have been tackled by people, <laughs> shot by a sniper. Like, there's no way a dad's going to make it all the way on the track. But he, he runs all the way out there. And then the dad and the son finish the race together. And there's something about that part of this story that I think why 30 years later we still tell the story and there are documentaries and specials that are told about it. It's not just that somebody got hurt and they were committed to, finish, committed to finishing the race. It's that someone got hurt and there was this connection between a father and a son, like a father who from the stands said to himself, my son's in pain and there's no way on earth he's going to do this alone. He's in pain and I'm going to step into the pain. And we're going to finish this together. And I think somebody here today just needs to know, like you may have the mindset right now that you are in pain and you're just trying to hobble to the finish line. The better stories that the world needs to hear. The better stories. Isn't just a person had their own courage to try to finish a race, but that together that we enter into the lives of each other to finish a race. So, what I've been praying against all morning is I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to be a contradiction. Like wanting you to believe that God gives you the grace and the strength to carry some of your own burdens and wanting us to be radical in how we invite others into our own pain, having the courage to share some of our own pain and burdens with other people so they can help carry them. I just want you to hear that God is inviting you to take a step, that some of you, you need to know that God gives you the grace and strength to carry some of those bricks in your life, and you can do it. And some of you need the courage, even today, to let someone else know, I cannot do this alone. So I think there are single moms just right here in our, in our city who don't just need to hear a story about how other single moms have made it. They need to hear a story how single moms have been surrounded by the people of God to help them thrive in life. There are people battling with anxiety and stress and depression who don't just need to know there's someone else who did this, but that there's someone else who has been surrounded with the people of God who has told people, your anxiety doesn't scare us as a church. Your stress and your fear, they don't scare us. Like we enter into one another's lives to live out what it means to be the people of God. And I don't want you leaving today thinking, Josh preached a sermon about how we take care of people. All of this comes back to Jesus who has carried all of us when you and when we have been at our worst he still carried us he carried our sin carried our pain and has promised even on this side of death burial and resurrection that he lives with us abides with us sometimes to fix us sometimes just to remind us of the abiding presence of God through it all so this morning, over the next few minutes, this is going to be a time of healing, a time of connection for us. It's going to look a lot like last Sunday. I want to ask Sam and Mark, two of our elders. I want to ask Jenna and Kim Chapman, two of our prayer leaders, if you will, go throughout the room where you're going to receive people here in just a few minutes. And myself and Casey, uh, we're going to stand right up here to my left by that exit door. And for the next couple of minutes, there's going to be a time of communion where you're invited to go and to take the bread and the cup and to be reminded today that Jesus has carried us through it all. Isaiah 53, which Jesus fulfilled, says he has carried our sin and bore on himself all of our illnesses. 
Let this be a moment of, and a reminder that Jesus has carried you. When you were at your worst, Jesus has carried you and has done something about it to make you right with God. And you may choose to go back in your seat and have a time of reflection and just connection. Maybe it's a time of gratitude. Maybe it's opening up your hands and thanking God for how he's carried you. And then we're going to have the praise team step up and sing a song. And the prayer leaders, we're going to be here through the next six to seven minutes as we go to communion and as we sing a song or two. That if there's anything we can do for you, anything we can pray for you, that's what we're here for. We are not here to be your therapists. Not today. We're not here to fix you. We're here for you just to come and mention a word or mention a phrase. And then our goal, our job today is just to take you before the throne of God. We want to help take your hand in the hand of God and make some divine connection that can bless you. So we're in these places to pray whether you go to people or not, but we're here to receive you if there's anything we can do. So here over the next couple of minutes, move to communion and then we're going to stay in this time of prayer. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And Jesus, our hearts are grateful for how you have carried us. Even today, thinking how you're carrying things all over the world, we thank you for your strength, we thank you for your presence with us, and that there's never a day that we wake up unaware or doubting, are you alive in this day or not? Like you were fully alive in this day. So all you have done in this day already to heal parts of this world, we give you thanks. And for what it is you want to do in this room and in this space over the next few minutes to provide healing and reconciliation, God, um, just have your way with us. Jesus, for all you have done and all you have accomplished through your death and your resurrection, for us, we just say thank you. Through Christ we pray. Amen.